but it's like <laughs> the Titanic is a huge ship. Right. And it's not <laughs> a 27 foot long plane that is much lighter and made of lighter materials. And so like I could argue if the plane sank may have just been broken up into pieces even more as it sank and just like spread out and like how are you going to find one tiny you know tiny individual pieces of a plane in 18,000 feet of water I'm Paige and I'm Megan and this is Spooky Science Sisters History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Hello, you're listening to Spooky Science Sisters, a podcast where we present to you a science-based and probably very giggly discussion on all things strange and unusual. Today's episode is all about another classic mystery. What happened to Amelia Earhart? There's a lot to discuss here, so we're going to split this one into two parts. For this first one, we'll focus mainly on Amelia's background and the known details of her final flight, and then jump into one of the hypotheses about her disappearance. But before we get to our discussion, it's time to do something spooky. So, Megan, did anything spooky happen to you in the last couple of weeks? Literally nothing. I'm ready to talk about Amelia. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Paige, (laughs) this is so. Here's some background about this episode. I have been a little bit of a of dragging my feet uh, in podcast land, both with editing and with doing my research for this episode. So we're recording it a couple days later than we thought. And Paige has been periodically sending me text messages since last week. Like I've got so many pages of notes. This is going to be such a long episode. And I was like, yeah, okay, Paige, like, didn't she just crash into the ocean? (laughs) Yeah. So then I waited until like, today (laughs) to actually write some things down (laughs) and let me just say that she's added she's added like another 30 percent to the notes that i already had (laughs) so yes so like we i yeah so like a typical episode is probably like six to seven pages of notes five to seven yeah yeah like the short to the long range and we're at like 12 pages now so and we're like not part done. one and part two and we're not <laughs> even close to done so like i'm eating crow right now because <laughs> i was definitely I like sure whatever page you're like okay two-part episode idiot <laughs> <laughs> and then i started looking at stuff and i was like oh so many notes to take anyway um <laughs> so Paige, did anything spooky happen to you Um, so this actually happened before our last episode and I had totally forgotten about it. It's like not that spooky, but I just needed to talk about it. So I had, um, I, for those of you who don't know me personally, uh, my schedule has changed a lot in the last couple of, uh, months and I'm like still trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing and what time I need to be where. But I (laughs) sometime last week had like set my alarm for the morning and I always set two alarms. I set one because it's like 
super fucking early and I know there's no way I'm going to wake up to the first one. So I set two (laughs) alarms every morning. One, like, you know, when I want to be up ideally and then one eight or eight to 10 minutes later, that's the routine. And I remember Mm -hmm. setting my alarm just like that that night. And then like an hour before my alarm is supposed to go off, my alarm is going off. I'm like, what the hell? So I (laughs) open up my phone, turn it off and realize that every single alarm that I have set in my phone, which is like 10 of them, because Mm -hmm. every time I take a nap, I set a new alarm for some reason. All Mm -hmm. 10 of them are on. (laughs) (laughs) So like I have alarms ranging from like 2.30 in the morning until like 8 o'clock p.m. at night. And like all of them are turned on. I have hmm. no idea. I must have just done something weird in my sleep, but <laughs> yeah, I've like fully opened up my phone, turned off my alarm, and gone back to sleep without realizing it before. So, like, that is definitely an option. Yeah, like, I wonder if you had some weird, like, half awake thing where you were like, oh, gotta make sure I set an alarm, and you just turn them all on or something. <laughs> just boom, 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 all the way down. Yeah. 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 I, I must I have done like, something. Yeah. Or I know Apple iPhones right now are set to, like, it'll automatically update your phone at, like, two in the morning or something. So I also wonder if your phone, like, just did something bizarre after an automatic update. That's possible. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Very weird. (laughs) Elliot was not thrilled with the fact, and and then it was like I had several set. It was it was a disaster. I didn't. I had a hard time getting up that morning because my my alarm had woken me up for that hour earlier. You know how it goes. So it was like five. It took like five alarms to get me out of bed, and I I texted him when I got to work, and I was like, "Man, I'm very sleepy today." And he was like, "I know you are. Anyone who needs five alarms to wake up must be sleepy." Yeah. (laughs) I'm always an optimistic alarm setter. Like, I will set an alarm for like, and it's gotten bad during coronavirus times. Like, I got really lazy during the time when we were like all working at home for four months or whatever it was. Um, Because I'll set an alarm at like 6 30 and be like, yeah, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to you know, have some coffee and enjoy some time to myself. And I'm going to take a shower and get ready. And like, then I'll be all ready for the day. Like by the time the baby gets up and it's like, inevitably I'm rolling out of bed at like eight 30. So <laughs> <laughs> like I will set it. And like, sometimes I'll even be awake at like six 30 and then I'll just like lay, lay there and stare at my phone for, you know, an hour or two. It's pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all it's do. <laughs> we all do some version of that. <laughs> yes. Well, and I think too, it's like it's gotten worse since having a kid because she, well, a like when she was going through her like sleep regression stuff right after I went back to work when she was only like four months old, it was like I would just sleep if she was sleeping in the morning because I was so tired, and then. After that, like, I think I just, it's like, I just relish getting to lay in bed like it's the pre-child times. (laughs) It's like such a luxury just to get to (laughs) lay in bed and (laughs) not have to get up and like immediately (laughs) do anything. So anyway, enough waxing about me loving to lay in bed literally all the time. We can talk about Amelia Earhart. And this is going to be, as I said in a text message earlier, this is going to be a Paige-a-Palooza episode because Paige is very excited. And I'm more excited now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like basically, okay, so I suggested this episode, I don't know, a couple weeks ago and like just got this feeling that Megan was like, this is fucking stupid. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It was stupid. I I know you didn't. I know you didn't. You just didn't, you seemed less, you did not seem thrilled about it. Like, which is fine. And not every episode is Megan going to be super excited for because at this point, almost every episode Megan has been super excited for. But, but, but it feels like today things really change. So I'm excited that you're excited. Good. <laughs> so let's really, talk about I'm just our girl. A jackass. <laughs> no. <laughs> All righty. So. Most people, I think, or I hope a 
the large majority of people know that Amelia Earhart was a pilot in the you know twenties and early thirties, and and we could go you know into a ton of detail about Amelia's upbringing and her background and all that stuff. Um, we could make this a four part episode if we if we did that, but <laughs> <laughs> but there are already a ton of great sources um, that go into a ton of detail on those things. So we're just going to touch on a couple of her greatest achievements and just kind of discuss. Pretty short, pretty briefly, some of the history there. Uh, if you do want to learn more, there are tons of links, obviously, in our show notes that you can that you can visit. Uh, but also, I listened to a podcast called Vanished, um, and season one does a deep dive into who Amelia Earhart was, and then they go into uh, some of the the theories of what happened to her. Admittedly, I've not made it through the entire season. Um, I got way too excited in the rabbit hole of the internet and <laughs> and research <laughs> articles that I did not get all the way through it. Uh, but what I have listened to of Vanished was really good. And um, I thought they had a really a lot of good information. So like I said, if you want to learn more about Amelia and her background, um, that'd be a good place to start. And importantly, Vanished is one of the podcasts in our network. So it's in the Straight Up Strange Network. Yeah, so go check them out. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So obviously, we endorse them (laughs) simply for that reason alone, because there's a lot of really good shows. uh, And I should put, you know what? I will pull out their stinger, stinger, their their promo, and put it at the end of this episode. So if you really want to go listen to that season of Vanished, because you're super pumped about Amelia Earhart like we are, when you're done with our episode, then go listen to that little promo and get more information and then go listen to Vanished. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> so <laughs> um, part of the reason I got so excited about this episode is because Amelia Earhart is just like a badass woman. Like she just really was. Yes. And so I got a lot of texts about that this week. <laughs> Very excited about this. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and most, like I said before, most people know she was a pilot, um, and I think that she's most, or what most well known, what people know most about her is that in May of 1928, she became the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic. And I mean, obviously, that's that's awesome. One thing that I wanted to note, though, is that it's insane to me how far uh, – I mean, this is true for, like, technology in general, but how far yeah. aviation has come in the last 100 years or so. Um, in 1928, so back when Amelia was flying, we were celebrating completed flights over a single ocean – and now we have commercial flights that can carry hundreds of people across the world in a fourth of the time that it took her mm-hmm. to fly across the ocean. So I just, I think that's cool. Yeah, super cool. And sorry, I have additional thoughts. Um, <laughs> and a question, which you maybe don't know the answer to. Super cool because like that also isn't that far from like, yeah, I mean, it's not even la- that long after flight even began right so yeah and i've always like sort of heard the argument that sort of real quote-unquote real technology begins with the invention of flight so it's like we haven't even really had that advanced of technology for that long so we're very young civilization wise um but also do you know so this is across the atlantic ocean Mm -hmm. that she yeah is the first woman do you know like how far where is she in the list of like just people in general who made the trip? Because Charles Lindbergh was the first, right? Right. Yeah. And like um, that was when and how long after was she? Or like how many people did it before her? So I looked I looked that up um and I I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, I okay. I could look up like how far <laughs> how much before it was or oh my god, how much before her he was um but it almost made it sound like she was the second person ever and i don't i don't want to say that for certain because that could be wrong okay but that's kind of the impression i got was that she was like the second person ever to do it yeah okay this says um so i have been googling so 
This is in 1927. So just a year beforehand, he made the nonstop flight from New York City to Paris. Okay. So it's it's like very possible that she was the second person ever. And if she wasn't, like she wasn't far up the list or for how far down the list. If it was only a year right. later, you know. Right. All right. So that same year, so 1928, she also founded an organization named the 99s, which is an organization that included a total of 26 female pilots. And the purpose of the organization was to coordinate the interests and efforts of women in the aviation field. Um, So if you go to the 99s website history, because it's still up and running today, they say in an ever broadening sense, it purposed to assist them in any movement, which will be a of help to them in aeronautical research, air racing events, acquisition of aerial experience, maintenance of an economic status in the aviation industry, administering through the the air in times of emergency arising from fire, famine, flood, and war, or any other interest that will be for their benefit and or that of of aviation in general. Um, So that was kind of their like purpose or whatever. And like the them in this case is women right <laughs> like yes. the purpose of it is to yes. help women in aviation yeah exactly <laughs> um and so like i said that organization still exists today it's now an international organization that gives way for young women to network find mentors or get scholarships to flight school um so it's still there for that really that same purpose and so i looked up like right now you know 20 21, uh, which really it's 2019. But as of today, like how many women pilots are there? Because at that time, there weren't very many. And that still holds true. There's only of all the pilots, and that's not just including commercial pilots. This is like every woman in the air flying any sort of plane. Um, it's only 7%. It's like 7.1% of pilots are women. Only 7.1%. Yeah, which is crazy. And I thought about it like, I don't think I've ever been, not that I've flown, you know, a ton, um, but I don't think I've ever been on a plane with a female pilot. Have you? I was just trying to think. Yeah, I, geez, maybe I have like a faint memory of like getting on a plane and having a woman pilot and sending, sending like a text message to somebody about it, about it. Because it was like a notable thing, but I, yeah, I've been on quite a few flights and haven't feel like I have haven't seen one, or I, at least not for sure. Okay, yeah. Well, it's like I know. I think I know two, um, th- two or three women who have like recently gotten their pilot's license. But I mean, I've been, I like I said, I've never been on a flight with a female pilot. So, yeah, like I said, this episode is going to be about women as much as it's going to be about Amelia Earhart, apparently, because that's (laughs) where I'm going. Um, So if you are a woman who's interested in flying and would like to see more women pilots out there, check out the 99 website or the 99's website. The info is going to be in our show notes. So yeah, as two women who are both in fields that until like pretty dang recently were very male dominated, but it's a little bit near and dear to our hearts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay. So back to Amelia. Um, so by this point, she's made history by flying across the Atlantic. But then in the 1930s, she makes history again by flying from Honolulu. Honolulu? Honolulu. Honolulu, Hawaii to Oakland, California, which is approximately 3,900 kilometers. And she then in the 30s as well makes history again for being the first person to fly solo from LA to Mexico City, which is approximately 2,500 kilometers. Also, I'm pretty sure we switch wildly between kilometers and miles the whole time in our notes. So, yeah, (laughs) sorry. This episode's got a little bit for the metric people and a little bit for the imperial people. (laughs) We're keeping you on your toes. (laughs) I had that thought somewhere through here and i was like well this is what we're doing now it's fine <laughs> and there's also like knots and nautical miles and like who freaking knows so whatever it's fine <laughs> it's, these are all like pretty long distances that's that's what we need to know that's what's important it's far <laughs> um so 
She also becomes the first woman to receive the Distinguished Flying Cross, which is a military decoration awarded for heroism and or extraordinary achievement while participating in an aerial flight. So to make what could be a super long story short, she is a very accomplished pilot. And then we come to June 1st, 1937, which is when we when Earhart sets out to circumnavigate the globe, which is, here we are again. Uh, It's like a (laughs) 29,000 mile trip. And this is actually her second attempt. I don't know, Megan, if you read much about her first attempt. Basically, I just noted here that she did make a first attempt and that she crashed at takeoff. um, Mm -hmm. So obviously didn't make it very far. So this is kind of her second time trying. Yes. And then her navigator, Fred Noonan, uh, joins her and... That's that. Uh, um, so, I don't know where I was going to go with that thought. <laughs> <She's> just... <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I didn't mean like, that's uh, that. It's fine. <laughs> that's it. End of the episode. Okay. That's it. <laughs> so I've heard in some podcasts, episodes that I listened to that Earhart wanted to basically just do this to prove herself and, as if she hadn't already. <laughs> You know, and she actually had left her husband a letter that included the following quote. Please know I am quite aware of the hazards. I want to do it because I want to do it. Women must try to do things as men have tried. And when they fail, their failure must be but a challenge to others. So like she knew that there were hazards here. She knew that there was a chance she wasn't coming home. Um, she It was dangerous. And like she wasn't stupid. Like she understood what was going on here, but she wanted to do it because she wanted to prove herself. Mm-hmm. And I had also read today that um, that this was like sort of going to be her last big record setting attempt and then she was going to be done. So that sort of makes it more of a bummer, but here we are. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So it's a 29,000 mile trip. Uh, it's supposed to take them about 40 days and they are staying mostly along the equator. So basically, like, the the longest route that you can take if you're going to circumnavigate the, the globe is to stay along, yeah, the equator, uh, which I suppose is probably the point. Uh, <laughs> they're flying in a twin-engine Lockheed 10 Electra. So it's a pretty snazzy-looking plane and it was customized so it could carry over a thousand pounds of fuel um a normal one of these planes would have only fit about 200 pounds of fuel and in a passenger configuration this plane was only big enough for about 10 people so it's pretty small and it's my understanding that basically the whole interior of the plane is like modded out so they can store more fuel. <laughs> like <laughs> I think they had like fuel like in containers sitting in the plane so that they could like fill on the go. Like and I'm not 100% but sure about that, but that was like the impression that I got. So like this was not like comfy cozy the plane is on autopilot like you know they talk about some of the commercial jetliners and stuff today like this was pretty uncomfortable conditions that her and Noonan were traveling in and like I had heard that earlier in the journey like she got pretty sick so like she had spent a bunch of time like they had a tiny little bathroom on it but she like had spent a bunch of time having to like go back and forth because she was like puking or pooping a lot (laughs) so it's like oh that would just be freaking miserable so yeah so it there were some bumps along the road and this was not like comfy cozy flying this was this was shitty and uncomfortable so it makes it you know the long flights that they were doing even a bigger achievement uh i'm glad that you looked up how much fuel they had because i meant to look that up and and totally forgot do you know like (laughs) how far a thousand pounds of fuel was supposed to get them uh actually yeah i did learn that that was supposed to be able to get them about 24 hours of flight like under the right conditions okay so they leave they set out for this on june 1st with 29,000 miles to go and on june 29th they arrive in 
we're not sure if it's Lay or Lae, New Guinea. And this is 22,000 miles into their trip. So they've only got 7,000 miles left to travel. Yeah. It's like two more stops. It's like, yeah. Yeah. They're like (laughs) almost back. Yeah. It's like Howland Island, which is where they're headed. Sorry, I'm cutting in, but you're fine. Howland Island where they're headed and then Hawaii. And then I think they're back in California and they're done. So they were so close. Right. Um, Which makes it even more sad. (laughs) (laughs) yes so they leave new guinea um and they're on their way to howland island but unfortunately they never make it there and they disappear on july 2nd according to what i read at this point in the journey they this was like a long stretch so they were carrying the most amount of fuel relative to the rest of the trip because they're trying to make it you know, at this point, they're trying to make these big hops across the Pacific Ocean, and there's not a lot, if you've ever looked at a map, um, <laughs> between <laughs> between New Guinea and California. Like, there's just a couple little islands. And this should have been about an 18-hour flight in order for them to get to Howland Island. They were supposed to be sending hourly transmissions to a man named Harry Balfour in Lae or Lay. I'm going to say Lae. That's what I'm going to go with. Um, And (laughs) he had sent her three transmissions soon after takeoff that the headwind speed, so the speed of the wind coming at the plane or moving against the, the direction that they were moving was higher than anticipated, uh, which means they have to travel slower and they're going to be consuming more fuel. But he gets no confirmation that she actually received these messages. So it's not clear that early in the journey she knows that she's going to be using more fuel. That afternoon, presumably she leaves early in the morning on July 2nd. Uh, That afternoon at about 2.18 p.m., she finally calls back to Balfour and reports that she's traveling at 140 knots. Okay, (laughs) another unit change. I have no flipping idea how fast that is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And at an altitude of 7,000 feet uh, and that everything is okay. So things are going fine at that point. Uh, And then an hour later, she communicates with him again that she has climbed to 10,000 feet. And they don't really know why she made that change in altitude, but that presumably would have cost her uh, a significant amount of fuel. So she's got this extra headland, headwind and she's made this big climb for an unknown reason, like maybe to avoid clouds or something. But yeah, like it, it to me, it sort of seems like things are stacking up in terms of things about to, to go poorly. <laughs> right. Okay. So that brings us to the first of the theories as to why Amelia Earhart disappeared or how she disappeared. And I feel so bad because I heard them talk about this. And oh, so two things, two things that I have to say. So I I listened to the Astonishing Legends podcast. I know you guys are so shocked that I would listen to that in preparation for this episode, but I did. Uh, And their episodes from a few years ago are the two-part episode that they did is from a few years ago. But first, and we make the same mistake. So it's really funny because someone must have I don't know. I forget if they explained why they did it, but the whole time, it's like, we'll always say like, here are the theories as to, you know, why this happened or like, here are the theories to explain this. Uh, And someone must have told them like, oh, that's not the proper scientific use of the word theory. (laughs) Because that's like a proven tested thing. Because the whole time they're correcting themselves and saying like, oh, this is another hypothesis. Because the hypothesis is the untested idea as to what's going on whereas the theory is a proven hypothesis or one that cannot be disproven so anyway i think that's funny but in the common vernacular i'm sure we've talked about this before theory means something different than it does scientifically right and then second they also point out that like poor fred noonan <laughs> people just right because everyone him. just forgets about him <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Which, like, I do it too. I tried really hard throughout the notes to say, like, they or yeah. Earhart and Noonan. And, like, I definitely messed it up a couple times. But it's like, poor guy just gets forgotten about. Yeah. I, I <laughs> had the same Until thought. we started looking into this, I literally didn't know that she had another person with her. So... That goes right. to show you. I didn't either. Yeah. And I'm like, I think he had like a wife and a family and stuff. Like, I right. Feel bad and for we, him. poor guy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he's important too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, yeah, this was this huge endeavor. And the first of these theories, or we'll say the first hypothesis, <laughs> is that they <laughs> crashed into the ocean. And died. And this was pretty much like when Paige was like, let's do Amelia Earhart. I was like, great. But like the answer is they crashed into the ocean and died. (laughs) (laughs) She sent me that text. That happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And like I have it in our notes in all capital letters, like pointing to crashed into the ocean and died. The one that actually happened. Uh, And I will firmly stick to this. Although probably when we do part two and we look more into the other ones, maybe I'll be slightly more convinced that it's couldn't be this, but probably not. Anyway. um, Okay. (laughs) So an important thing to know is that on this trip, they had a couple of boats helping them mark the route. And one of these is a Coast Guard boat, uh, the Itasca, who is waiting near Howland Island and it's supposed to help them coordinate landing and provide weather conditions and yeah basically help them find the island because Howland Island is tiny tiny it's super tiny. super small <laughs> yeah like I'm not even clear that there's anything like there it's just like it's just like they were gonna drop some fuel there and they were gonna yeah. land and pick some up I actually made a um, a note in some of the later no- or some of our mm-hmm. later notes that I, I put like the size the size of Howland Island in comparison to the size mm-hmm. of the ocean. And oh, it's I like, saw that note. There but it is. Had the size of the ocean as like sixty eight square miles, and I was like, that's not correct. <laughs> oh like, wait, I, assume- like- I miss more numbers. <laughs> I was like, that's gonna be. A few thousand. It's it's 63.8 million, is what I meant to put. (laughs) So, like, that's why I didn't move that statistic because I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah, I just forgot like a couple letters. Okay. Yeah. So, tell tell us the sizes here. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, the Pacific Ocean is 63.8 million square miles, uh, and Little Howland Island is point six square miles so like i don't even know yeah it's super small in a huge body of water um yeah Yeah. very i would imagine it's like very hard to find from the sky right and we will talk about it sorry i gotta burp too um (laughs) (laughs) i'm leaving those in there um we will talk about it uh in a little bit but the navigation did not work the way that it does today so finding this was like sort of a thing so this boat the Itasca is waiting for them to help them coordinate finding the island and landing they heard Earhart's transmissions coming in and I had even heard that they heard them getting stronger suggesting that she definitely got close to the island uh at one point they think she's close enough where their radio operator goes out to look for her plane and yeah it's it's not too long though that we get down to her last couple official radio calls so one of her last calls to them says uh we must be on you and cannot see you have been unable to reach you by radio but gas is running low we are flying at a thousand feet so they're flying really low in the air and running out of fuel. I had heard one statistic that they must have been down to like their last hundred gallons of fuel. So a tenth of what they started with. And again, they've been up against the stronger headwind. She's made this big climb. So we don't really know what's going on there. She's probably used more fuel than she thought she would. 
Uh, her last official transmission occurs at 8.43 a.m. So this would have been uh, the day after she started her flight from New Guinea. And she says, we are on the line 157337. We will repeat message. We will repeat this on 6210 kilocycles. Wait. And so what she's referring to is a northwest to southeast navigational line. So it's the bearing of this line that they were flying along, uh, which either bisected or like passed very close to Howland Island. And some have said that during these radio transmissions, she sounded pretty frantic, which, you know, if you can't find where you're supposed to land in the middle of the ocean, like... Right, and you're running out of fuel, like, I would be terrified. be freaking out a little bit. Um, (laughs) All they'd hear from me is just crying. Um, (laughs) So those are the last official ones. Uh, There are some stories out there of radio transmissions that were heard by shortwave radio operators from Amelia Earhart, basically after it's thought that the plane would have come down. And some have said that like these stretched all the way up until July 18th. So like for a couple weeks afterwards. And so this is like sort of the kink, I guess, or one of the kinks that we'll talk about more in part two, but as to whether or not, you know, she came down in the ocean or did they manage to land somewhere? Because the way the radios work, the radio batteries were on the wings. And if they were exposed to water, they wouldn't have worked. So like if they had had to make Mm. a water landing, she wouldn't have been able to use the radio. However, (laughs) the Navy and other radio experts don't believe that these were genuine, or at least they didn't. An organization called the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, uh, which is T-I-G-H-A-R, and I think they just pronounce it TIGER as like a cute little acronym. Um, (laughs) But they have like gone back and looked at these and they suggest that some of them are genuine transmissions. So importantly, there's one that's heard on July 5th, which is three days later, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that this is recorded by the U.S. Navy uh, in Honolulu. And this is in like a garbled Morse code, but they get the message 281 North Howland, call KHAQQ, beyond north, won't hold us much longer, above water, shut off. And so K-H-A-Q-Q was Amelia Earhart's call sign on the radio. So yeah, there's some kinks in this theory. Um, I had heard, though, that like basically neither she nor Noonan really knew Morse code enough to like truly communicate in it. So like maybe that's why the message was garbled, but also they're transmitting pretty far. So, you know, it could have just been garbled because of that. But it seems possibly unlikely for that. Um, An amateur in Ashland, Kentucky claims to have heard a transmission that they were down in the ocean and on or near a little island. So yeah, so there are some unofficial radio signals and we will talk more about this and Tiger's recovery um, efforts in part two, but I just wanted to bring it up now because they exist and it's like a little teaser for what we're going to talk about next but like especially the one where they say they're down in the ocean like to me that seems like it lends credence to the fact that they crashed in the ocean and like even if they got the one on july 5th later like i know they say their radios wouldn't work if the plane was in the water but like i don't know what if they they you know managed what if the plane floated for some time and they managed to keep the radio working and were like calling out and they're floating somewhere you know or they weren't you know or they were close enough to land that maybe it just wasn't that deep yeah but that's like pretty much yeah what we'll talk about right next time i mean here's the thing my feelings and i feel like you probably feel the same way some of the theories that we'll talk about in the second episode or some of the hypotheses that they, we'll talk about <laughs> in the second hard, episode right? it is <laughs> one of them in particular like 
totally seems possible or like reasonable mm-hmm. to me. It seems like a possible thing that could have happened. But in all of the ones that I feel could be an explanation, like they still crashed. Like whether they crashed on yeah. land or crashed in the water, like the plane still crashes. And yeah, I mean, which to me makes sense, right? Like they were, they we know they were running out of gas. It's it's likely just based off of some of the radio calls that they had that they were maybe not totally lost, but weren't mm-hmm. really where they wanted to be. They were still looking for their for their final destination. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, they crashed somewhere. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. Right. Like, they definitely <laughs> yeah. crashed. It's just a matter of like, did they survive the crash or not? Right. And yeah, and I had heard another estimate that given the headwind and given the climb that she had made, they were probably looking at more like 20 hours of of fuel rather than the 24 that they would typically have. So it's like by the time she's radioing in at like 8.30 the next morning, like they are, they're low. <laughs> like they're down to like their last, you know, I don't know, maybe even like few minutes of fuel right. time um, before, you know, they're going to run out. And I guess the the question is like, just because you run out of fuel doesn't mean like you completely lose all of the lift that the plane has. Right. Like it's still going to glide. So it's like, did they make some sort of controlled landing? We don't know. We're going to talk more about that. But importantly, I mean, I think they crashed in the ocean or they landed in the ocean and then the plane sank. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm stuck, uh, but we'll, you'll see why on this. I think Megan, you kind of know already, but for those of you who don't know the story all that well, or don't know some of these hypotheses, like you'll see why I think that it's possible that maybe they didn't crash in the ocean. Right. Okay. So once these last radio calls are made and once it's sort of established like she's not gonna land (laughs) at Howland Island like she didn't make it to her destination this huge search effort starts so three different Coast Guard and Navy boats as well as planes search the area for two weeks around the island they aren't able to find any wreckage by the end of the search that they make they've searched over a hundred thousand square miles And by the end, they were spending um, about $250,000 per day, which is like a lot of money. So much money. (laughs) In 1937 money. Um, 1937, yeah. And this is like during the Great Depression. So some people were not super thrilled (laughs) about that. (laughs) And again, Howland Island is is so tiny. So it would just be, yeah. It'd just be easy to miss. And like she radios them being like, hey, we can't see you. Right. (laughs) We can't get in touch with you. What is happening? (laughs) So, yeah. So one thing that – so you and I have already talked about this a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, But like to me, part of the reason that the like losing a plane in the ocean or like crashing and not being able to find it doesn't totally freak me out. Like I I see it as a possibility is because we literally lost Mm -hmm. an entire 300 – plus passenger plane like seven years ago, even with everything that we, all the technology we have now. Yes. And so for the listeners who maybe don't remember this, in 2014, the Malaysia Flight 370 went down and this flight was over 200, like the plane was over 200 feet in length and had an almost 200 foot wingspan. And it's been seven years and all we have found from it at this point is like debris. Like they've not even, they've not found any, anything else. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) It's it's like essentially gone. Yeah. And the plane that Amelia Earhart was flying was 27 feet in length with a 41 foot wingspan. So it was like much smaller. Yeah. Yeah. So it just, to me, it doesn't seem like super far-fetched that this plane could have gone down and we just never found it. Yeah. And yeah. A, so here are a couple of thoughts about that. So A, how was this seven years ago? (laughs) Paige is like, Malaysia Flight 370 was seven years ago. And I was like, no, that was. I thought it was like two or three, right? right. (laughs) (laughs) So that sort of blew my mind. Uh, Like, I was still living in Madison when it crashed, which is like exploding brain. But I was still in college. 
Well, you're a baby. Um, (laughs) But this is my main thought about her disappearance. Like, I think Paige was like, I don't know. We were texting about this and I was like, we lost a whole ass plane in 2014. Like, like an enormous jetliner where like they knew the flight plan. They knew where it was supposed to be. They had all this like communication and gps and whatever with it and we still lost it and we, we have still no lost idea it it literally just it disappeared up. from the radars and it's just gone yeah and like i'm not even clear that they like know a hundred percent for sure that the wreckage they found is from it or do they now um they've confirmed it uh okay. i did read that so it definitely okay. like, they definitely think it's from the malaysia flight but like okay even still yeah. There's a whole ass plane somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, where's the engine? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So here's the thing. The ocean is scary big um, near Howland Island. And we know, you know, whether she crashed on another island or crashed in the ocean. Again, Eileen Roads crashed in the ocean. But the ocean is about 18,000 feet deep there. So three and a half miles deep there so yeah like that plane could have sank to the bottom and you're never gonna find it a team called uh from the nauticos institute spent some time between 2002 and 2017 searching almost 2,000 square nautical miles is that different from a square regular mile who freaking knows our units are all over this episode uh (laughs) but (laughs) near where it's thought she may have crashed uh they found no evidence of the aircraft but again to me i'm not clear that this really means much so like it took until The Titanic sank in 1912, and it took until 1985 for people to find it. Right. (laughs) Like, so the guy, and, like, they were sending out their coordinates as they sank. So, like, we knew where it sank, and, like, it still took a long time for them to actually find the wreckage. So the man that found it, Robert Ballard, realized, uh, I guess from previous work that he had done, that when a large or when a vessel sinks, um, it ends up getting carried by underwater currents and can be carried, I think, like a significant distance as it sinks and that you get this sort of like comet-like tail of debris behind it uh, that, you know, can be found leading up until its final resting spot. So he had been like contracted, I think, by the Navy to find a couple of like sunken submarines on some sort of like basically secret mission to find them. And they let him search the Titanic because it was in the same area. And so he was able to find that debris tail and then follow it in order to find the Titanic wreckage. But it's like, (laughs) the Titanic is a huge ship. Right. And it's not (laughs) a 27 foot long plane that is much lighter and made of lighter materials and so like i could argue like if the plane sank may have just like been broken up into pieces even more as it sank and just like spread out and like how are you going to find one tiny you know tiny individual pieces of a plane in eighteen thousand feet of water (laughs) so yeah unless you know like exactly where to exactly So, yeah, and, like, I don't know if there's, like, stronger currents or, like, yeah, what the, the I don't know, physics or whatever it is of, like, how far things could be carried. But the Nautico's Institute's president hasn't given up hope, like, despite them not finding anything and presumably finding or spending an enormous amount of money. He just sees it as, like, here's 2,000 square miles that we don't have to search next time. (laughs) So, like, he's like, we just haven't found it yet. So he's still convinced that it's somewhere around there. And funnily enough, we will uh, talk about this again in part two. But starting in 2019, Robert Ballard, who found the Titanic, uh, has gotten involved in searching for the plane near, for Amelia Earhart's plane near a different island. But yeah, for me, it's like, come on, man, like, just. Just keep looking around Howland Island. Right. And like, (laughs) we'll talk about it. But like, he doesn't. He never looks there. 
Right, or he hasn't yet anyway. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Um, I mean, I guess this is only like two years ago, so <laughs> I, yes. maybe I should give him <laughs> and like, some time. And like, I don't think anybody got anything done last year, so there's that. That's fair. Um, <laughs> yes, but side note about the Titanic, because that movie was like very pivotal in like my growing up childhood period. if there was some sort of like spooky titanic debunking that we could do i would be all over that so listeners you have any ideas related to that i will jump on it i will talk about it because i was like i went through a period when i was little where i was like i saw the movie and then i was obsessed and like read all this stuff about the titanic and stuff so i didn't like the movie you are wrong. <laughs> I know this. I know I'm wrong. Yet that is just a wrong opinion. Paige. <laughs> they say there's no wrong opinions, but that is one of them. <laughs> Rude. Anyway, yes. Titanic sidebar aside. Let's go. Let's back to Amelia Earhart. Um, back to Amelia Earhart. <laughs> here's what I've so, learned. Most of my notes are just like, here's some extra stuff that I found and I wanted to talk about. Hey, whatever. <laughs> okay. So, so the crashing hypotheses do not mean that Amelia was a bad pilot. We already know that Amelia Earhart was a very achieved pilot achieved accomplished accomplished yeah as soon as i said it i was like i said the wrong word but we're just gonna that keep going right. that doesn't sound right <laughs> but we're, we're going for it navigating a plane in the 30s at least to me sounds like it was a hell of a lot harder than it is now and like it already sounds difficult enough to me <laughs> and we already talked a little bit about like they didn't have the gps technology we have now they didn't have you know the the same radar technology we have now and like even with all that stuff now we still lost a plane (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, and at that time like they were primarily still using the moon sun and other stars to determine location which literally just sounds like a nightmare to me yeah and i guess so noonan was and again poor fred noonan um we he was like a very accomplished navigator Uh, he was an achieved navigator achieved navigator Uh, (laughs) we're just like giving each other a hard time this episode um (laughs) we're not fighting you guys i promise um (laughs) uh so he was an he was an achieved navigator um so he was upset to find that like he i think i don't know if people had told him this or whatever but you know i think he was expecting more of the plane in terms of like having some sort of more modern for the time um navigational equipment but when he starts out he finds out that like all he's given is a regular (laughs) is a regular (laughs) old (laughs) uh sextant for a ship which i have no idea how a sextant works but that's what he had. Uh, so he ends up borrowing something called a bubble octant, which sounds cool. Uh, but this was a more modern modern tool that was designed for airplane navigation. So he says he has to sort of jump in and like on the fly, you know, add some navigational equipment that's that's more appropriate for what they're trying to do. But again, to me, like sort of just another another nail in the coffin of like little things that are going wrong and and setting them up for an accident you know yeah do you know how a bubble octant works i literally have no idea what a bubble octant is i did not look should we google it right now let's do it so sextants had problems in aircraft navigation so they're using the horizon to measure the altitude of celestial objects this is like straight from wikipedia so (laughs) deal with it and an aircraft may not have the seas the ocean's horizon as a flat reference surface it may be flying over land oh okay so i think like in order to it's it's basically like how the bubble works in a level i think 
Oh, so basically oh, okay. in order to use, you know, the moon, the sun, the stars as reference points, they have to have a, they have to have the horizon as a flat level reference to navigate by them. So gotcha. if you, in a plane, like if you're flying over land or like, yeah, you might not always have that or like the horizon is for my by mountains and you don't know the height of them you can't do that so um so they have to use the bubble octant in order to give a flat reference to determine yeah that plane so anyway sweet there we go now we know now we know i think that's a very basic explanation of it but yeah yeah i mean here's the thing regardless certainly nothing like we have today (laughs) Uh, um. (laughs) no (laughs) yeah (laughs) not at all (laughs) um so another uh, method i guess a tool that they used to navigate was called drift sight which was basically like a periscope that would come out of the bottom of the plane to measure the tide uh and this would give an idea of like the wind speed and the direction but this technique could only be used in the daylight because obviously at night you wouldn't be able to see much of anything Got it. I was very confused about like what this meant in terms of like measuring the tide. I had heard that Fred Noonan, like in addition to switching them over to a bubble octant, he also brought or had planned to use powder bombs, um, which you'd basically drop out of the plane and then like use the way the powder spread to figure out how fast you were going. So I don't it's I feel like it's gotta be something related to this drift site. But apparently those actually end up getting left behind. Uh, And yeah, like maybe. And I think I had heard on Astonishing Legends that they maybe like left. I don't know if it was there that they left them behind, but they had left some other things behind in New Guinea specifically. So like they were trying to make room for more fuel or what they were doing. But another sort of thing that's like, "Mm, maybe we shouldn't have done this. Like Paige mentioned, this is also, you know, pre-GPS, but also just like (laughs) pre-radar even. Right. And the Itasca was supposed to be providing them with radio bearings as well as a smoke plume in order for them to find Howland Island. But in addition to having like problems with navigation or at least like They didn't have the best navigational tools with them. They were having trouble with communication as well, or just like communicating in these types of situations was more difficult. So it was spotty or it was just lacking. So we mentioned the problems that she had getting in contact with Balfour back in New Guinea after they left there. She has trouble getting transmissions through to the Itasca, she doesn't send any position reports after they leave New Guinea. And I'd actually heard that they only sent a total of like seven for the entire journey. And they're supposed to be sending them like <laughs> regularly, like throughout each leg of the journey. Furthermore, uh, Earhart didn't think it was necessary to take along what was called a trailing antenna which would have allowed her to tune into a specific frequency on the radio in order to send directional bearings to the Itasca. So basically like allow them to locate where she was and help guide her to their location. So all this to say like, yes, like nothing that happened to her Noonan was their fault. The technology that they had at their hands was not great. (laughs) And like, there were maybe also just some like contributing factors uh, that put them in a difficult position at this point in their journey. And which like, again, sort of just lends credence to this idea, like the plane just crashed and it's just gone in the ocean. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So anyway. (laughs) So like Megan just said, and like we've both said a couple of times throughout this episode, 
we feel it's pretty likely. And by pretty likely, I mean, we're pretty darn sure that Earhart and Noonan crashed. Mm -hmm. Um, And a majority of researchers seem to agree with us. (laughs) Question then becomes, you know, where did it crash? We to, to confirm that it crashed, we have to find some sort of evidence of the plane. And mm-hmm. to find the plane, we have to kind of we have to know where it came down. Um, so there's a couple different thoughts kind of surrounding, you know, where they ended up. And I'll mention a couple, but these are all things we'll talk about in our second episode. Um, the first thought is that they crashed near Nicumaroro. Nicumaroro. Thank or you. Nikumaroro. <laughs> it's one of those. I've heard it pronounced uh, Nikumaroro or Nikumaroro. Nikumaroro. And then they were castaways there. So one of the thoughts is that they were, you know, they they lived, they survived through the crash and basically just lived off of this island until they passed away. And then there's obviously what we just talked about, the crash near Howland Island. Um, and then there are some other theories. One of the thoughts is that they crash at a different island or near a different island and they're taken prisoner by the Japanese. Um, there's this theory of or hypothesis. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the units and the terminology mean nothing this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) There's some thoughts about Earhart actually being a totally different, changing her name basically and becoming a different woman. Um, So there's a lot of different stuff we'll talk about in the next episode. But I think that is pretty much all we've got for this one. Yeah. And (laughs) per usual, I'm going to end it on a morbid note but as i was thinking about this and listening to this theory so this first theory you know which kind of introduces a lot of circumstantial and 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 what's the opposite of circumstantial Mm, not not circumstantial (laughs) evidence real evidence (laughs) physical evidence yeah physical evidence i like it sure that sounds right (laughs) whatever um introduces a lot of this background that we're gonna need to talk about these other theories in part two and thinking about this idea of you know they were castaways somewhere or whatever i like i mean one of the main supporters for this idea of and why i brought up the you know the radio messages that were not ever confirmed or like not not accepted as official was her husband and some of it I think is like like with other things that we've talked about in this podcast like sort of just wishful thinking like she's one of the most famous people in America at the time and like and still some might argue and yeah, like it's not great to think like, oh, this like amazing, awesome person who's accomplished all these great things like crashed and died <laughs> in the middle of nowhere in the ocean. And so like people want to believe or wanted to believe that she was still alive out there somewhere. But arguably, <laughs> if it was me, <laughs> like I would much rather <laughs> crash in the ocean and die quickly than waste away or starve on an island where like yeah no one's ever gonna find me i mean i would anyway so like so it's like super morbid but it's like for my part like a do i think her crashing into the ocean and you know we just haven't found the plane because the ocean is vast and terrifying and yeah do i think it's the most likely theory because of the evidence that we have yes Um, But also, like, maybe it's wishful thinking on my part that, like, that they did die quickly and, like, didn't have to suffer somewhere. Didn't have to suffer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I will agree with that. I will say that I think that, like, the mystery of not knowing what happened kind of in its own way keeps her alive. You know? Like, it keeps – so nice. (laughs) Yeah, like I think that (laughs) in some ways, like assuming that she didn't just die and like giving us something to look into and something to research kind of in some ways keeps keeps her in the spotlight a little bit. Yeah. And Noonan, because he's important too. And Noonan, and Noonan. 
Fred. I'm sorry, Fred. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was funny that earlier in the episode, you were like, oh, she's most known for her transatlantic flight. And I was like, is she, though? Or is she most known for the fact that she mysteriously disappeared? <laughs> Really, I think most people know about her flight. Like, I, I think that you a think? lot of people know she disappeared, but I don't think anybody really – I don't know that anybody realizes – not anybody. Obviously, there are tons of people who realize, like, there's some <laughs> mystery here. But I think that, like, I don't know. A lot of people just know she disappeared and don't really know anything else about it. Oh, okay. Like, like don't really how know many people part of, like, this attempt to make yeah or the – like the yeah, circumnavigation or whatever. I'm Got I'm it. willing to put money on the fact that like there are people who believe, who think that she disappeared during her flight across the Atlantic. Well, you're that's what I right. think. Yeah, <laughs> that may not be a large a large, you know, percentage of people, but there are people out there who think that. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. I think that wraps up our first episode on Amelia Earhart. Come back in two weeks for part two when we talk about the other hypotheses regarding her disappearance. If you liked this episode, hit subscribe and share with a friend. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SpookySciPod, Facebook at Spooky Science Sisters, and at our website, SpookySciencesisters.com. If you have any questions about previous topics or ideas for future episodes, email us at SpookySciencesisters at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening and stay spooky. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com. I'm Eliza, and I need you to listen to me. Have you ever felt so much that you don't know where to put it all, and you wonder if anyone would notice if you screamed? Because you want to. Scream for the ones they've hurt, the ones they've taken. Scream for yourself. These are my words, my story from my perspective. Because I know you'll hear other versions. Because I want you to have a chance to believe mine. Or at least hear it. If you're getting this, it's already over. But if one of you listens, really listens, it won't be for nothing. <laughs>